right, if you would take your Bible this morning and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm going to start verse 1 and read down through verse 6. So do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Forasmuch as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. Such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. The title of the message this morning, Commended as Ministers of the New Testament, commended as ministers of the New Testament. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word, and I pray as we look into the word of God this morning, I pray that you would allow our hearts to be open, receptive, we'd allow our, 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 uh, you to teach us and instruct us, and Father, we thank you for what we've heard already, and for how you've encouraged us, and Pray that we'd be uh, just uh, increase our knowledge of the scriptures and our understanding and obedience to it. And may you be magnified, and Lord, be any in our midst who have never been born again by the Spirit of God. I pray that the Spirit of God would work in their hearts, bring conviction and repentance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, kind of, in this. Several verses here, Paul talks about the, the uh, Old Testament law, and, and you know he's talking about the letter of the law. When he's referring to the letter of the law, he's, he's referring to the law as, as God's standard of righteousness. And of course, the law condemns us. Galatians 3.10 says, Cursed is everyone that continueth not, that it's written in all points, uh, continueth not in all points, uh, yeah, Galatians 3.10. Trying to remember how it goes. Curses everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But then, of course, verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. So when he talks about the, the letter of the law, he's talking about the Old Testament law and how it, it, it establishes, of course, God's holiness, his standard of holiness and righteousness, but it it condemns us, but the Spirit of God brings us salvation through Christ who kept the law on our behalf and redeems us from the curse of the law. It enables us, then enables us to be commended by God. But just think about being commended as ministers of the New Testament or of the Gospel. You know, a common practice for people applying for a job is character references. They like that. It, 
you know, often you have to give character references. And a, you know, a practice has it, that has infielded churches and particularly Christian institutions of higher learning is accreditation. And it was a way of granting recognition to certain standard of education. That's what accreditation is. Uh, there are accreditation organizations, of course, that schools would apply to for recommendations to attract a broader spectrum of students. However, oftentimes that accreditation often came with a price. And that was a compromise to the truth of the Word of God. And in short, a lot of it was all to be more attractive to the world. Now, the word commend here, as it's used in the scriptures, means to set one with another, that is, by way of presenting or in, in introducing him, to commend one or recommend one. You know, dictionary.com says to present or to praise as worthy of confidence, notice, or kindness, etc. And, and, of course, this is a common practice among men. As we think about the commendation of men, in verse 1, Paul says, do we begin again to commend ourselves. Now, when it says, he says, begin again, in other words, this is something that people did before. This has been something that's common, even in, in, with God's people, they would, they would, uh, uh, seek to commend themselves. Uh, so he's here referring to people who promote themselves or seek recommendations from others, really, without biblical authority. You know, it seems from the beginning of time, men have sought this condom commendation. Uh, Cain sought it from the Lord with his best efforts, bringing his fruits to the ground, his good works. What was he seeking? He was seeking a, co- a commendation from God. But it wasn't according to righteousness. It wasn't according to the law of God. Esau sought it from his father Isaac. He wanted the blessing. He sought a to be commended. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram sought it. And they had 250 supporters. So surely, they had a case. No. But the earth opened up and swallowed them in whole. God judged them for it. Balaam sought commendation from the king of Moab. And of course, he was killed with the Moabites in war with Israel. The Pharisees sought it. In Matthew 23, 5, Jesus said to the Pharisees, But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. And the phylacteries had to do with, with, with uh, boxes or, or uh, signs like they would wear with scripture verses on them showing the people how spiritual they were. <laughs> and Jesus said to them in John twelve forty three, They love the praise of men more than the praise of God. But you know, even James and John. I'm telling you, this commendation of men is common, and, it's, and, it, and it can, we can get caught up in it if we're not careful. James and John sought to be seated at the right hand and the left hand of the Lord when he comes in his kingdom. And it didn't stop with just James and John. The elders were jealous because they asked such a thing. And even in Revelation chapter 2, you know, this is a common problem throughout history. Revelation 2, 2, the, 
the uh, Bible tells us that thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, hast found them liars. And the idea, and of course, in the, in the direct context here, you make an application to pastors or preachers in particular, and, and the idea of a preacher having less than pure motives is not new. Philippians chapter 1, Paul said this, in verse 15, Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. So not everyone, not every preacher has pure motives. That's what he's saying. <clears throat> and so here in chapter 2, or, or 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, do we begin again? In other words, we've got to go through this again, uh, promoting ourselves and seeking recommendations from men. And, you know, we've got to have certain credentials uh, in the sight of men to, to do ministry. And Well... The psalmist says two times, Psalm 60, verse 11, Give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. Psalm 108, verse 12, Give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. You see, we need to get our commendation from God. And God's authorities, not from men. Just because somebody says or commends certain individuals does not make them or give them authority or place to minister the word of God. So we see that, so Paul talks about the commendation of man. But I want you to notice the second thing, the commendation of our works. In verses 2 and 3, <coughs> excuse me, he says, Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men, forasmuch as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. So, there ought to be a commendation of our works. And this is, this is, this is what Paul, some of the things that Paul is appealing to here, as proving that they are commended before God, and we ought to be able to commend ourselves before God by our works. The word manifestly declared there in verse 3 means to be made known, visible, a reality. Uh, John chapter 3, in verse 21, it uses it this way, but he that doeth the truth come to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that is revealed, that they are wrought in God. So your deeds should be made known and prove whether they're of God or of the world. And he says here that they ought to be made known that they are wrought or brought about by the power of God. John chapter 9 verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest or that is revealed or commended to the world in him. Go to first, or Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and verse 14 through 16. Matthew 5, and verses 14 through 16. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set in a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, 
but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. In other words, your life ought to be a reflection of God that it manifests itself in good works. These works are visible and real to the world. In chapter 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets which come unto you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. In other words, their works, the things that they produce. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewed down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. And so, again, by their works, what is produced, ye shall know them. And, and you know, what is, and we might ask the question, what is good works according to the Bible? Well, look at verses 21 to 23. It says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. And here's the key. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say unto me. Now I want you to think about that phrase. Many will say unto me. Now these are people that think they are saved. And he says there are going to be many of them who think they are saved are going to say unto me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. So these people think they're saved, and, 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 and they tell others about the Lord. They prophesy. That's what prophesying is. They consider themselves to have done miracles. They've seen God work miraculously in their lives. And they've cast out demons. And they've done many wonderful works. These are wonderful people who would do anything for you. Surely they are Christians. But Jesus said, then, when I profess in them, I never knew you. No, he says, not everyone that saith, but he that doeth the will of my Father. You see, it is the fruit of the Spirit of God working in and through our heart, producing an outgrowth from the divine nature that we have received when we are born again by repentance of God, toward God and faith in Christ. In Philippians 2.12 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation for fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. See, if you have the Spirit of God living within you, he's going to give, he's going to change your will. He's going to give you a desire, a will to do what pleases God. And it isn't really going to matter if it pleases Generation X or your neighbor. That isn't your purpose. It's not your purpose anymore. You don't do it to be seen of men. You're not that concerned about whether, whether, whether so-and-so, my neighbor, is going to think it's right or good. No, you're just going to do it because it pleases God. 
And He's put a will in your heart by His Spirit. The Pharisees did all kinds of works to be seen of men. But it wasn't from the heart. Jesus said inwardly they were full of dead man's bones. I might, while they appeared to be taking care of the widows, they were stealing their houses and lands. In other words, they took care of the widows to get what the widows had. They had a motive. An ill motive. See, the works of the Spirit of God have no ill motives. Their only motive is, do I please God? Do I please God? That's what good works is. He the will of my Father. Of course, the will of the Father has come to Him through repentance of faith. But then it is to work out your own salvation, which God works in. God begins to work in your heart by His Spirit, by the divine nature that He gives you. He gives you a desire to do that which pleases Him. Ephesians 5.9 says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. You see, in these things will commend our heart to God. 1 John 2, verse 29 says, If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Look at chapter 3, verse 7. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Verse 10. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Now, the word doeth here in verse 29, it says he that everyone that doeth righteous. The word doeth means it describes a course of action to perform or accomplish. In other words, it's executing, it's executing actions by, by the pattern of your life. You see, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, but he that doeth the will of God. So it describes a course of action. A pattern. And it says, He that doeth righteousness is born of God. And the word righteousness means the, the state of him who is such as he ought to be. The condition, it's a condition that is acceptable to God. God sets the standard of righteousness. And see, if a person is righteous, he's going to have a pattern or, or, or a, an action of life that exemplifies righteousness. Not because Nick's watching me, but because God is. And I strive to please Him. And it's because the Spirit of God dwells within to bring about or gives me a desire to please our Lord and Savior. You know, instead of the virtuous woman, Proverbs 31, 31, give her of the fruit of her hands. Let her own works, good works, her works, praise her in the gates. In other words, her works show that she is righteous. She's right with God. 
This is what good works is. The works glorify God, not the person. Not the person. Again, Matthew 5, there 16 says, Let your light show shine that may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so, our works, we ought to be commended by our works. Our works ought to demonstrate a pattern of righteousness to a lost and dying world. And so when Paul says to those at Corinth in verse 3, Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. You see, they had a heart. You know, they, they weren't, they weren't, you know, and again, we often talk about the church of Corinth being the carnal church. They had problems. They had sin in the church. But when Paul wrote to them, you know what they did? They responded in righteousness. When they were confronted with truth, they responded in righteousness. You know, what I've realized over the years in ministering with people is when people, when, when I believe when people are truly saved and they're confronted with righteousness, they respond. And people that are not saved have this attitude, oh well. One lady said to me, well, if it's a problem, just vote me out of the church. My conclusion was, she was lost. And her life demonstrated from there on out. Of course, her life demonstrated before. She was never confronted with it. You see, this... These works come from within. They're not outward. It's not just for show. Look at Titus chapter 2. Let me try and illustrate this. Titus chapter 2. <clears throat> Titus chapter 2, verse 9. Verse 7. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works... In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to obedient unto their own masters, and to please them in well in all things, not answering again, not prolorning, not showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. You're not prolorning. You don't take advantage or, or cheat on your employer. What's Ephesians say? That we're, to, we're not to be men-pleasers or eye-pleasers, but doing the will of God from the heart. So in other words, even though, even though the preacher's not around or the boss is not around, you do your work right. You live right. You strive to please the Lord and do what's right regardless of anybody notices or not. Because you have a Spirit of God that gives you a desire and a will to please Him. And that Spirit of God will bring out the fruits of the Spirit in your life. And so this is the commendation 
of works that Paul talks about. Commendation of works. But you notice the third thing here. The commendation of God. If you notice in verses 4 through 6 of our text in 2 Corinthians 3, it says, In such trust have we through Christ to God word, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. And so Paul here is saying that we have this, we've been commended by God for this ministry, and our sufficiency is of God. And again, it's God, verse 6, that hath made us able. In other words, and again, Paul's um, repeating himself here. They say the, that the key to learning is repetition. He, he talks about verse 5, our sufficiency of God. Verse 6, hath made us, and it really means to make sufficient. Same thing. Or to render fit. None of us are fit in ourselves to serve God. We're all born sinners. We're all born estranged. We go estranged from the womb, speaking lies. You know, none of us are fit. But the idea it means to equip one. He makes us fit. He equips one with adequate power to perform the duties that he's asked of us. You know, every one of you, by joining Lighthouse Baptist Church through a profession of faith, being added to the church through baptism, has been equipped and authorized to be a witness for Christ. He has made you fit for the task. You're not sufficient in yourself. We're not sufficient in ourselves, but he, he has equipped us. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 20, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. See, God has given to us, uh, this, this body of believers, he's given to us, the ministry, a ministry of reconciliation, we are, he has given to us uh, to be ambassadors for him. And an ambassador is one who is authorized by the head of their country to represent them in another country. And so you and I have been authorized by God to be a witness or to represent him here in this world. Now when we say authorized, that means we've been a we give them the right, the authority, and equipped to do the job. To represent Christ. It is a position of authority. I don't know if you realize it or not, but it's an act of war to kill an ambassador. It's an act of war. For some other country to kill one of our ambassadors in their country, it's an act of war. Considered an act of war.
You see, this commendation of God is done by the direction of and the power of the Spirit of God. Notice again, verse 6, he says, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. So when you're born again by the Spirit, by the Spirit of God, who gives us life, He also gives you power and authority to be a witness for Christ. You know, our church covenant, you do this all good every once in a while. We ought to get this church covenant out and read it every year. But the first two paragraphs of our church covenant says, Whereas, having been led by the Holy Ghost of God to individually, notice, led by the Holy Ghost, to individually receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we do now in the presence of God in this assembly most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. Therefore, we covenant by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and the propagation of the faith. There it is, right there. We've been equipped and authorized by the Spirit of God. We've been commended by God. We've been enabled by God. To go out into the world and represent Him. To promote its spiritual growth through obedience to the Scriptures, sustaining worship ordinances, discipline, doctrines, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, and the relief of the needy within its membership, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. You see, we've been commended, we've been led by the Spirit of God to carry out this ministry. We've been equipped. That's why it's important that we learn all we can about the Bible. Just a plug there for Bible Institute. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. And so as each as individuals in the body of Christ, we've been equipped... We've been commended by God, authorized to be a witness to a lost and dying world around us. But I want to notice a a second thing here I want to mention about the commendation of God. The Spirit of God directs in the commendation of men for the ministry. If you notice again verse 6, he says, Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Now, go to Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13, and verses 1 through 4. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. It says, Now there were in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers and Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaen, which had brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work wherein to have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto the solution, from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Now, what you see here in this passage is, it is not that just one day, Paul and Barnabas decide, hey, you know what? 
We want to be missionaries. Uh We want to be missionaries. And they just decided they were going to go leave the church in Antioch and go on missionary journeys. No, that's not what happened. You know, they were on, they were on the pastoral staff at Antioch. In fact, I really believe that Barnabas was the first pastor at Antioch. The church of Jerusalem sent him there. And he established it. There was much people added. Then he sent for Saul. And brought Saul. And then there were these others added. And it says that these all, there's Barnabas, Simon, Simeon, it's called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, which had brought up the hair of the Tetrarch, and Saul. So all these, they ministered to the Lord. In other words, they were serving the Lord. They were fasting and praying. Uh, they were carrying out ministry. They were having Bible studies with people, witnessing people in the streets, and, and they were preaching and teaching in the church, and you know, the church assembled, and, and, and serving the ordinances. And they were just going through the normal day-to-day ministry things. And while they're going through that, they come to understand or realize there's another city over that way that needs the gospel. We're to go into all the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. And so they're, they're ministering to people, they're praying, and at the same time, the Lord's working in their lives about what about this city over here? What about this region? What about Turkey? That's where Paul went. What about Greece? And so the Lord began to impress upon them they need they have a responsibility and an opportunity. And the Lord, through his spirit, directed them to separate Barnabas and Saul. See, Barnabas and all just sitting inside one day. Hey, we want to be missionaries. You know, I really believe neither one were married. There's no indication that Barnabas, that I can find in the Bible, that Barnabas had a wife. And for what they did, it had been very difficult to have a wife. We know Paul didn't. So, so you know, they just, they just didn't decide one day, well, we want to be missionaries. No. There was a, there was a, a, an agreement, a conclusion come to amongst the leadership that God had chosen these two men to go out from us. After all, they were busy. They were building a church. People were being added to the church. They could, they could have had their mega church just like a lot of them do today. They wanted to make a church. You know, stay, oh, let's all stay right here. Let's build a make mega church and we'll bust them in from other places. How about we go start a church in that other place? You see, it wasn't their idea. It was God put the idea. God brought this to their attention. The Spirit of God directed it. You see, the Spirit of God directed the leadership and the church to send out of their best Paul and Barnabas. And verse 3 says, And when they had laid, they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, they realized that God has, had directed them to send out 
Paul and Barnabas that this is the right thing to do, and, and, you know, and the church is agreement with it, and so it says they laid hands on them. You know, the laying on of hands was a symbol of a transfer of, transfer of authority. In other words, they have given Paul and Barnabas the authority to go out into other places and start churches. You know, there were some that were left Jerusalem and came to Antioch, you remember, and caused a problem. And Church of Jerusalem said, we didn't send them out. We didn't send them out. See, they need to be sent out. It's a transfer of authority. And of course, this is done by the church under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you know, before Brother Francis left to go to Taiwan, the pastors, you might say the presbytery. That's what the Bible calls it. First Timothy four fourteen. Paul talks about to Timothy, you don't don't neglect the gift that is in thee by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Now it has nothing to do with the denomination. It simply means a body of elders or a body or group of pastors. That's what presbytery means. And so, this is what's going on here. The, those, that, that group of men laid their hands on them, authorizing them to go out as missionaries, that time they called them evangelists, and start other churches. You know, this was not the fruit of some emotionally hyped up meeting with skyscraper preaching. I mean, this was serious, heart-searching business with the Lord. After all, the Roman world was very hard to live in as a Christian. They were sending them forth, really, into a midst of wolves to endure much sacrifice and hardship and peril. But you know, when the Spirit of God begins to work in your life, you won't have to go from emotional high to emotional high to sustain your Christian life. You know, some people are like a leaking tire. They constantly need somebody to come along with an air compressor and blow them up. <laughs> and they go from blow up to blow up. Emotional high to emotional high. They want to live on the mountaintop all their life. Mountaintop experiences are wonderful, but you can't live there. It's not where rural life is. You see, Jeremiah lived in the valley. And Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 20, his word was in mine heart as a burning fire. See, Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 3, he says, it's not written on stone but in fleshly tables of the heart. Fleshly tables of the heart. See, if the Spirit of God gets in your heart, He'll work out. And we'll have this commendation of God. 
See, the question is, does God have your heart? Solomon said in Proverbs, Son, give me thine heart. You know, has the Spirit of God given you life? Do you have that sense of commendation of God that enables you to be a witness and a testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul said we don't need to commit the commendation of men. What we need is the commendation of God. Working in our hearts by His Spirit. Do you have that commendation this morning? Enabling you to be a witness and testimony for him.